What is up, hoopers, analytics, bad guys, bucket getters, boosters, blue bloods, and new bloods? On today's episode, we are talking the NBA draft. It's finally here. Early edition episode this week to get it in before the big draft day, June 23rd. Who do we like? Who do we dislike? Who are our guys? Who are not our guys? Who are guys that we think are even going to be anything? They, Zach's got dudes, but who's got guys? We also talked to Kings Herald's Bryant West, St. Mary's alum, to get his thoughts on the Kings, the NBA draft, and what it feels like to have to root for Demontis Sabonis. Hey, Hoop fans. How would you like to get 125% sign-up bonus up to $2,500? Join BetUS with promo code NEWBLOODS. That's N-E-W-B-L-O-O-D-S at BetUS.com, where the game begins. Hello, Hoop World. My name is Tuck Clary. I write for Slipper Soul Fits and Busting Brackets and coming soon on Subsec. Hello, Hoop World. Subscribe. Just subscribe. Hit that. Hit that. What's up, YouTube? Hit that subscribe button. Uh, also with me, it's just the two of us in a castle in the sky. It's Josh Linky. What up, Tuck? How you doing? Oh, doing great. I like... I don't know. I I mean, like, you probably understand this as a Mariners fan, as a Gonzaga fan that has yet to win a title yet. This is a week of possibilities. The world is wide open. Some magic could happen. Draft day. I'm a a fan of potential energy more than kinetic energy. Yeah, it's definitely a week of potentiality at this point. I don't see... um how that's going to necessarily look good for as a Mariners fan, but I'll, I'll take your word for it for now. <laughs> yeah. Um, keep, keep wishing, um, <laughs> watch Moneyball another time or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, all right. So we talk later to Bryant West to get his takes on the draft, who he thinks is the best player in the draft, but also how, how strong it is. And also to, Shout out to a uh, friend of the program, Eric Stoneburner. Uh, what the Kings can possibly do in this tough spot at the fourth pick? What can they do around DeMontis Sabonis? And with a lot of roster, I guess, roster redundancy, how, how they can figure things out. If but, there was ever an episode that was Eric-centric, this is the one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, we should bring in some, like, auto racing stuff, too, for the guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Let's talk a little bit about our thoughts on the draft coming up uh, this week. Who, Josh, are your top prospects? So I feel like this is relatively easy one through three. Obviously, Chet, Jabari, Paolo. If you don't have Chet, Jabari, Paolo as your top three prospects, I honestly don't understand what you've been watching or paying attention to for the last year plus, but you know, here we are as far as four and five, that gets a little bit more interesting for some people. I think most people probably have Jaden Ivy in there. I do. He's like maybe number five for me, but I also have Shaden Sharp. I feel mm. like, and I've been preaching about Shaden Sharp. I think feels like all year. Cause I was riding with Kentucky for a while too. I just think he's got so such a high ceiling with his tools that he could potentially become a superstar out of this draft. It's a very tough road to get to that point. You got to work hard. There's got to be a lot of things that go right with injuries and whatever else, but the guy's ceiling is absurd. 
Yeah, absurd ceiling. Uh, he is not in my top five because of, you know, lack of tape, all this other stuff. Uh, we'll get to also some thoughts I have for him later. But I also think that Keegan Murray is interesting, but also Keegan Murray falls victim to the whole, like, how old is this guy? Like, why is this guy only now hitting the scene? Would he hit the scene if he came out last year with this level of uh, resume? I think that he is someone that is, like, definitely a tier below the the top three guys in terms of forward post player but legitimately i think there's a very wide gap which after keegan in terms of multiple level scoring big man and uh who we have with jalen duran mark williams and so on and so on is it weird that i'm more interested in what happens with his brother at iowa this year than i am with him in the nba no, that totally makes sense. Like, I, 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 Iowa in general, like Iowa, Iowa, Iowa players. It's just like I don't know what to make of them. Like, is it yeah. what? It's a mess, but it's an interesting mess because maybe if Chris turns out even remotely close to what his brother was, then maybe they could be a potential fringe top twenty-five team this year. And you know who I trust to figure that out? Definitely Fran McCaffrey. He's definitely right. the guy to figure that out. Talk about an old head around the game of coaching. That man has been there, done that. Sweaty. Um <laughs> all right, Josh. Who are your sleepers of the draft? All right. So I got a chance this year to watch a non-Zig game up close and personal. That was Arizona against Northern Arizona earlier this year. I think it was like December. And I watched, I went to watch um, our guy Umar Balo and, you know, some of our former coaches on the sideline and whatnot. But Christian Coloco is a guy that just stood out to me in so many ways. He is a physical specimen. And I mean, up, up close and personal, he is long. He is built. He has insane athleticism for his size. Um, you know, maybe he doesn't quite yet have the perimeter game that some people would like to have at this next level. But I feel like just his shot protection around the rim the his ability to to get over guys the the vertical spacing he brings to different teams at this next level could be something that's very intriguing um, especially on a team that's just looking for that energetic guy off the bench to begin and then as he grows in, in throughout his career maybe he becomes something of a bigger role um, you know for somebody down the line yeah, I, I think Coloco is super interesting. Uh, I know that Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer said that he has the potential to, to become this perimeter threat, which is something that we didn't really see in college. But Not he, at all. <laughs> he did, yeah. But he, he looked to show some ability at the Combine. I believe he did really, really well in terms of the three-point shooting metrics and, and drills. Um, he Like he said, he's just like just physically so massive and looking at that thinking back to that illinois game he completely derailed everything that the illini were trying to do inside which is yeah. it's not an easy thing with kofi coburn so yeah and, and and you know his ability as a defender just you know from from the rim protection but also just as a solid uh rebounder um off you know um help side defense ability in the post and then his motor like he's just a really energetic dude who just always seems to be getting in, in the way of other opposing players and finding his spot uh, when he needs to. And, and on the offensive end, I mean, he's, he's really 
quality at scoring and off ball motion plays. He's, he has really good hands. Um, so you don't generally have to worry too much about him turning it over down low. Like I just, I think he's got a lot of the tools that teams look for. And again, like kind of like a guy like Grant, he's bigger than Brandon Clark, but a guy like Brandon Clark, who's so energetic, works so hard at this level to just out hustle out, out game, like anybody on the court. This is a guy who has the potential with those skill set to be able to do the same thing in this league, but just at a different position. Absolutely. Like outside of Chet Holmgren, I don't think there's any big man in this draft that I trust guarding the perimeter than Christian Coloco. Uh, and then on top of that, I granted this partially is because Tubalis started uh, accumulating injuries and, and wasn't quite 100 percent. But it, it seemed pretty obvious about halfway through the season that it, in terms of post play, Coloco was the offensive threat that they were going to go through a lot of the times, or at the very least, because of his putbacks, was the more dependable option to to get you that that additional point in the paint. Yeah, absolutely. And my my other guy uh, on the sleeper line would be um, a guy that he's kind of he's vexing. That's maybe that's the word to use here, and that's Patrick Baldwin Jr. He might have the prettiest shooting stroke of any player in this draft or one of the prettiest for sure. Um, And he just found himself in such a weird position this last year, playing on his father's team um, at Milwaukee, you know, struggling through injuries. Uh, But he, he, you know, he actually did show some flashes early on in the season of being the player that people kind of expected him to be. Um, I, I really wish we would have gotten a chance to see him at this, at the collegiate level for a full season to get a better idea of what we're looking at. The thing about him is that the athleticism is just not quite there. And, <laughs> and you have to wonder, like, at this level, playing against dogs and athletes at that, you know, at, at this remarkable, uh, you know, in this league with, with so many great athletes, is he going to be able to consistently score? At this level, I don't know. And I just, I think there's a ceiling there, but it's also like with a huge asterisk for me. Yeah, I, I'm not very high on him. And honestly, like, it reminds me of when Jabari Parker was going through the draft process and he was that second pick. And uh, there was a lot of, well, yes, he's not very athletic, but he can get things done at multiple levels, get to his spots, and he has the size to make up for that lack of athleticism. Then Jabari got an injury, and Jabari was just completely lost. I, I If Patrick can stay healthy is a big question, but also, I, I don't know if he can stay in front of guys on defense. I don't know if he'll be a liability on defense. Um, we didn't... We, I feel like the big draw before uh, the basketball season last year, the college basketball season, was Patrick as some sort of like point forward, and that's out of the window. Um, he does have a pretty stroke. It's just a question of if he can get that off, considering all those limitations. So, you know, boomer bust draft. Let's see. Yeah, I think the the thing that makes him a sleeper, though, to me overall, is is not so much like. Granted, we both have these question marks it's the current draft expected draft position of him and Mm -hmm. what value you could get if he develops. So if he's a, a 30 through 45th pick in this draft, well, 
that's a completely different conversation than it was a you know six months to ten months ago when he was potentially a lottery pick. Like Patrick Baldwin Jr.'s a lottery pick is like ah, I'm not going to touch that with a ten foot pole. But yeah. Patrick Baldwin Jr. at 44th in the draft. Okay, now we're having a conversation. Like yeah, that that that's you know he could we could stash him. We could wait and see, and maybe something happens. Yeah, definitely. Um, my sleepers. Uh, okay, so. This guy is most likely a lottery guy. Um, I'm high enough on him that I think he's a lottery guy. But also, I'm calling him a sleeper because I think outside of if you're playing Chet at the five or if you're playing Jabari at the five or hell, throw Paulo at 6'10", a legitimate 6'10", as a small ball five, I think Mark Williams is going to be the best center in the draft. I like him far more than Jalen Duran. I think he his, his... He's underrated in a lot of aspects in terms of his physicality, athleticism, and, and endurance. The big thing for me with Duran was that guy is that guy was gassed in that Gonzaga Memphis game, and it was pretty early in terms of dealing with the physicality that Chet wanted to bring him in terms of uh, banging into him while he was gathering, and in obviously Gonzaga's tempo. Mark Williams shined in that matchup. He he. He was incredibly comfortable running the floor. He was incredibly comfortable ranging out, guarding the perimeter. As as great as Christian Coloco and Chet are, Mark is capable. He's congratulated a lot for his defense and his rebounding abilities. Uh, I mentioned this when we talked to Bryant, but his offense is underrated. And he Coach K in his retirement tour did not allow him whatsoever to showcase that talent. It was Apollo Bancaro show. Uh, for a little bit, it was AJ Griffin's show. And then what we saw in the tournament, Mark Williams looked like a lot of the time the best prospect in that second week of the tournament and on. Yeah, I mean, he had, what, the second highest O rating in the entire country was last year? Or yeah. Something like that. It was like... Nobody wants to talk about it. <laughs> right. And, and you know, and, and it's not just his ability to score that makes him interesting. It's his offensive rebounding ability as well. Like he is very good in second chance, uh, you know, op- opportunities. Um, so he brings a lot to the, the table on that, on that end. He's got great size. He's relatively athletic for that size. Like you, you have literally been on him and I have poked at you a little bit for it for a while, really all year. And you've told me that you think he could potentially be a lottery pick. I still don't quite see it, but <laughs> I, you know, if it happens by all means, I will, I'll be the first person to tweet that Tuck was right. <laughs> so you want to talk about his size and Josh, would you say that he's athletic? Like, it's not like he's a lumbering tall guy. No, no, he, he, he has athleticism. He's, he's more athletic than, than Walker Kessler. Mm-hmm. So, so, so with that athleticism, what if I were to tell you right now, I, I know some people have tweeted about it. What if I were to tell you right now, the first game Mark Williams plays this season, he will officially have the longest standing reach. That's absurd. He has a standing reach of nine foot nine. That is absurd. He's so what he could stand and almost touch the room. That's that's absurd. <laughs> to put that in perspective, Boban, the villain of John Wick who uh, just got traded out of uh, Dallas to Houston, the lovable BFG giant has a standing reach of nine foot seven. Rudy Gobert has a standing reach of nine foot seven. 
the biggest standing reach before Mark Williams measurement at the combine and at workouts was Mo Bamba with a standing reach of nine, seven point five. That's an inch and a half. An inch and a half. That definitely, you know, it's, it's interesting. I did not know this about Mark Williams and it actually kind of changes my opinion a little bit of Mark Williams. So kudos to you, sir. You've brought out the best in, in, uh, in me, I guess I am now a Mark Williams believer. I body percentage fat of 5.4. Like this, I, I like we made him in a lab is basically yeah. what I'm trying to say. He's, he's super interesting. And, and the fact that he was at Duke for multiple seasons, it's kind of interesting as well. I, he's, and yet, and yet outside of foul trouble, you didn't notice an uptick in the Duke system when Theo John was in his place. It's Duke makes yeah. no sense. <laughs> no, it, it really doesn't. It's I'm also, I look, I don't, I don't even want to talk about Duke because I spent all week laughing at one of the most absurd coaches, uh, rankings that I've ever seen in my life where John Shire was put at like 15th in the, <laughs> in the country as a coach without having ever coached a game. Um, we above need to guys s- who've won national titles, by the way. Abs- yeah. Like what we need to stop, stop the list propagation that is happening on twitter.com right now. It's clicks my dude. It's clicks. Like, yeah. Uh, I recently blocked an account that uh, was giving out just horrendous takes, just abs- so bad. <laughs> like I, I don't even want. Yeah, we could move. We should just move on because I don't want to like no, get no platforming. Give it, we, yeah, yeah, deep platform. Yeah. Uh, my other sleeper, which is a sleeper because his stock is cratering in a way that makes makes the whole NBA G League. Um, ignite prospect system very under the microscope for scrutiny. And that is the honestly going in probably the highest rated prospect in the G league ignite program guard Jaden Hardy. Jaden Hardy had a, without a doubt, a horrendous season with ignite. He had a 40% shooting from the from two point during the season in 27 percent from the arc he was a volume shooter he put it together in the second half a bit and then just looked terrible in their playoff tournament he he was once thought to be a top five pick going into last season and now i've seen i've seen him go like 25 in a lot of mocks i've seen him go like below 22 and well, I think that's possible, and I think it's possible that he could end up being that level of talent, like, uh, uh, you know, just like a copycat of what Brandon Jennings' career was in a lot of ways. But you know, Brandon Jennings, fifty-point game. Let's not forget biggest Milwaukee Bucks player outside of Kareem and Giannis Antetokounmpo and Mike, Michael Red. Uh, anyways, I think that Jaden Hardy's going to end up being like one of those other G League Ignite guys that. His stock is way too low for what he was. It reminds me of when Anthony Simons was taken like 19th by the Blazers. I think Jaden Hardy, I think in general, how the guards come out in this draft, I feel like either everyone's going to be wrong or in the order that we get it is going to be mostly wrong. I think the G League Ignite guards and the pro guards are actually going to have the most successful NBA careers regardless 
of what you make of Jaden Ivey and regardless of what you make of Kennedy Chandler, Ty Ty Washington, and so on. Yeah, you know, the thing about Jaden Ivey, or uh, rather Jaden Hardy, that really is interesting to me is that you could take him as a bust, but you could also take him as a sleeper, like you've done. Um, and But really, like, here it's it's the, in the same way that Patrick Baldwin Jr. is a value pick. Jaden mm-hmm. Harvey is a, a massive value pick at 25 or, or if he's in that range. Like, suddenly he becomes much more intriguing because you can get him for a much lower price and you could stash him and let him develop, like how Anthony Simons developed in Portland, like you said. And, and really, that's an interesting comparison as a player anyways for those, you know, for Jaden Hardy. Um, I think, it to me, this is more an indictment on the G League Ignite process mm-hmm. than it is anything. And that is to say that Jaden Hardy did not get the opportunities that were afforded his peers in the college level. He has not been allowed to have the PR, the the game tape. Um, you know, granted, the NBA teams all have his tape. They've seen everything he's done all year. They know more than anybody does who this player is at this point. But we didn't. We, as a as a, a group of people who enjoy watching basketball, um, you know, we didn't get that opportunity. And I feel like he could have potentially still been a top five pick had he had the opportunity to to play in the the collegiate level so yeah i I just don't i don't know that the g league ignite process is is working (laughs) you know yeah yeah i i mean like look at last year's draft jalen green is adamant to this day that if he played in college he would have been drafted number one overall he see he he a lot of teams or a lot of people were mocking him to be the number one overall pick and you know I, and honestly, in terms of developmental stuff, uh, it took Jalen Green longer than a lot of the top five picks to turn it on last season. It didn't really happen until probably like a third, halfway through the season that he started having consistently good games. And by the way, that's really hard to tell on a Rockets team that was just throwing stuff out there. Um, but yeah, Hardy especially. Uh, he was asked to do everything pretty much on that Ignite team as as the lead guard and as bad as his shooting was he had a 35 percent field goal shoot like shooting percentage he was an 88 percent free throw shooter and for a lot of scouts the way you can tell if a guy can develop into a consistent shooter is what at the first semi-pro level he was shooting at from yeah. the line and 80 percent is money so We'll see. I think I think he could have done a lot, well, lot better with a coach that kind of would wanted to reel him in. Like some of the shots and games that I watched, he was just hoisting up logo threes, and and him reeled in, and him with a as in more of a facilitate with a facilitating guard next to him, he would he would take a big step. And like if the Oklahoma City Thunder with one of their uh, non top two picks are able to get him i think that would be a perfect spot for him yeah i agree i think i agree completely i think um i think his his field goal percentage makes me think more along the lines of this is a guy who was out of sorts and really forcing it at times last year more than he's going to be a poor shooter at the next level like he he just he's he's going to need some time to develop but overall like i think he just has all the tools 
So we talked some guys up. We talked about value picks. Who do you want to commit <laughs> slander on? Oh my God. The spicy level here. This is like ghost pepper or uh, Carolina Sco- Reaper hot. <laughs> Scovels through the roof. Josh put on latex gloves to deliver this take. All right. Uh, brace yourselves. Uh, fans on the planes. Uh, Jabari Smith. I know. I know. Here's the thing about Jabari Smith. This is a guy who he's is widely viewed at this point as the number one pick in the draft. It probably has been for a good portion of the year. I just wonder about his ability to create off the dribble at the next level. We've talked about this a little bit throughout the season you've mentioned it a few times on twitter i you know i i think if you're going to be this this prospect that everyone views as otherworldly top level talent that could potentially be a, a the face of your franchise for the next 10 15 years i think creating off the dribble in the nba is a really important skill set to have yeah yeah it was it was odd when that was first brought up uh how how little that guy's able to really attack the basket and and god bless him for that dunk in the miami hurricanes tournament game because that kind of helped uh brush that under the rug for for a little bit legitimately we we like scouts that are hiring him are bending over backwards by introducing this. Oh, he's a power forward clay Thompson because he doesn't need to dribble. And it's like, eh, it doesn't, it's not that he doesn't need to dribble. It is because he's more comfortable and trusting of uh, him doing a fade away or a high release mid range fade. than you know, putting the ball on the floor. I spacing was hell at Auburn last year. And Auburn fans will be the first to tell you that, but legitimately, he's he's the lowest percentage at the rim field goal shooter in this lottery system that we've seen in a minute. His his inability to comfortably create his own shot outside of having a high release point is something to keep a tab on. I don't think that he'll be any worse. Then a starting caliber um, fifth option, but even fifth option seems like yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I so I mean he's could be a three and D guy, like legitimately. I think his defense is underrated, but and he's obviously has a great release and form for his three point shot. But do you want to use the number one overall pick for a three and D guy? Right, you know. It's and it, it's it's so when we've actually seen him dribble too, like it's it would be one thing if he just didn't have to, and when he did occasionally show it, it was like, oh, he's got the skills; they're there. His ball handling has not been great, like when he's actually had to dribble. So it's it's like one of those things where it's like, okay, yeah, will he will he get the opportunity to dribble more at the next level? Yes. Is he going to do well at that at the next level? I don't think so. And that's part of the problem. He's not confident in that skill set because he's not very good there right. compared to some of the other prospects at that at that level. And uh, alum of the program, now graduate assistant for the Portland Pilots on the bluff, Austin King, bluff boy, will be the first to tell you that 
people have it all wrong. Yeah, uh, it ain't easy to uh, build or create a jump shot for a player in the NBA. It's even harder to develop handles in the NBA. Handles is not something you can just fundamentally build. That's that's more natural instincts, more natural ability than even fixing your form. So yeah. I I don't know. I, I think that like there's ways that you can get him to be more confident in it that could help, but we'll see. I mean, I was lambasted by the Auburn community back in January, February, because once conference play started, Auburn fans loved to just completely shit on Chet Holmgren saying, yeah, but he's doing this against uh, high school kids. He's doing this against JV teams uh, when he's, you know, taking the ball from him, his defensive free throw line and driving and winding past three defenders. They're saying, oh, that's unimpressive. Very politely asked, can you show me any time that Jabari Smith has ever had a highlight? Can I see a Jabari Smith highlight? Yeah. And I got a lot of videos, got a lot of, got a lot of response. Uh, and by the way, this was me also still saying, I think he's still a top three pick in the NBA and I really like his game. And I wish that Bruce Pearl would set him up more for success. Uh, I got a lot of videos and those videos were all Jabari doing turnaround fades, Jabari shooting over a defender in his face with a hand in his face, making the shot. And it's like, great, tough shot, tough shot, kidder, terrific. But you know what I didn't see? Uh, Jabari hanging on the rim. Like the one dunk we were given was a guy forgetting to close out in a game and Jabari pounded the ball once while he gathered and dunked. Like, yeah, he's missing, he's missing that aspect and it's not an unimportant aspect and he's a terrific player. I think he could be a small ball five on the championship caliber team, but is he the top overall pick? I, I still am up in the air. About right. It. You know, in only only 12% of his shot attempts in college were at the rim. He only averaged 4.6 points uh, per per game per 40 minutes in the paint. This this is a guy who just doesn't get to the rim at all. So there's there's not a lot of film there to see like how does how does he even do it? And then he's not a playmaker either. Like for his size, this, this is a guy who had a really high usage rate in college, but only averaged like two assists per game. He's so, you know, is he going to make tough shots? Yes. You know, who can make a lot of tough shots at the collegiate level, really at a higher clip than Jabari Smith and only got a cup of coffee in the league. Former Zag Kyle Wilcher. Kyle Wilcher can make oh tough God. shots galore. Oh my God. From outside at that size point is maybe I've ever seen. Josh, Josh. But <laughs> this. Okay, saying Jabari Smith is a bust is a thing that will get you roasted. Saying Jabari Smith reminds you Kyle Wiltshire is lighting the village on fire. No, I, look, I, Jabari Smith can run the court better than Kyle Wiltshire could. That's 100% true. Uh, Jabari Smith has more athleticism to him just naturally than Kyle Wilcher did. That is true. Uh, Jabari Smith is he's an interesting prospect as a freshman. Kyle Wilcher did not put up that those that level of of numbers as a freshman at Kentucky in the SEC. So I I agree it is not the same comparison at all. I'm simply saying if Jabari Smith at the next level is simply a tough shot maker, 
There are guys who are playing in Greece. There are guys who are playing in Turkey. There are guys who are playing in France who are incredibly tough shot makers who that is their only skill set. That's all they can do. If Jabari Smith is relegated to only doing that at the next level because of these deficiencies in his game that we've, we've identified, that becomes a problem. As a number one pick in the draft, you have to be able to do it all. You have to be able to do more than just shoot tough shots with two guys in your face. I will say, I will say also a friend of the two of us, friend of the pod, I suppose, maybe not a friend of Gonzaga Twitter, Ant Wright, uh, Michigan legend, uh, called Jabari Smith, War Eagle Mike Mascala. <laughs> Look, let Ant, that let that pod, let that guy. sizzle. Let that sizzle on your plate. Uh, Ant, please, please come on the pod, my guy. We we are ready to have some conversations with you. This this is one of the few times we probably agree a little bit more than maybe disagree. Um, but there are plenty of conversations we could have to disagree and fight about that would be instant entertainment for the general public. I will add, um, we talk about uh, Jabari at the rim. Jabari was a 60% field goal percentage at the rim versus uh, 80% Chet Holmgren. But, you know, Chet played uh, JV teams, apparently. Yeah, the the questions about Chet's body and holding up at the next level when he consistently banged in the paint (laughs) versus a guy who literally didn't bang in the paint, wasn't nearly as efficient around the rim. And, you know, he's viewed as the better prospect. All right. Whatever you say, bud. Josh, uh, who is your second bust? <laughs> so this is this is an interesting pick for me because I didn't see him being a lottery pick in, initially. I thought he was going to be more on the lines of uh, Jaden Hardy, um, and, you know, his, his G League Ignite teammate. Um, and that is Dyson Daniels. Um, look, he's he's got an interesting size. He's um, he's got some skill sets that translate to the next level. Um, I just wonder, I wonder about his the overall package that we're seeing here and whether he he warrants being a top 10 pick at the next level. I don't feel like I'm alone in that assessment. I think this is this is something that a lot of us have kind of scratched our heads at as he's risen on draft boards over the last couple of weeks. Um, What do you think? I mean, do you think he's a top 10 pick? So, all right. Later, later on in this conversation, we're talking favorite prospects and he's one of my favorite prospects and he was going to be a sleeper in a lot of ways before. Yeah. Over the last two weeks or so, he's turned into, you know, I, I think most places have him top 10 somewhere between you know, even six to 10. Mm. Um, I love his game. I think that he had a poor season uh, where he shot, I think 26% from three and had a very, very terrible 50, 56% from the free throw line, which turned a lot of people off fair, but he seems to be building his offensive repertoire more and more. He has incredible vision. He has great facilitation, natural instincts. At worst, he's Lonzo Ball, but I think he's going to be even considerably better than Lonzo Ball on offense. His stroke isn't hideous. It's just a matter of getting it to be consistent. His size makes him a guy that I he's we don't know a lot about what these guys are going to be on defense for sure. We felt confident about Evan Mobley. We feel confident about Chet Holmgren. Uh, 
but nobody thought Ben Simmons was going to be what Ben Simmons is and was on defense when he was an all pro player. Dyson Daniels has a lot of that upside and he's, he's a, he's a big guy. Like, uh, he's, he's six foot six, 185 pounds right now. If he adds more weight, he could legitimately be a four. If you need him to be, uh, uh, he can guard all four, all one through four right now. Uh, he has incredible length. I just think he has such a high floor that that's why he's risen so much. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it depends who you ask what his ceiling is. He, he has the, he has a high ranging ceiling. I think, I think in the so in high the, floor, high ceiling. And do you think he is going to be better than Lonzo ball? I think he's going to be better than Lonzo ball. Yeah. So yeah, maybe he warrants a top 10 pick. Maybe I'm completely dead wrong on him. I mean, I, I, okay. I honestly let's let's be real. I have not seen him play that much because I did not watch G League Ignite much yeah. at all. I've only really seen highlight film of G League Ignite from this year. Not a Twitch TV guy, Josh. No, definitely not <laughs> a Twitch TV guy. Um, huh, it's weird. I it's will weird. admit that defensively, I feel like he's one of the better perimeter defenders in the draft, and I feel like having that skill set sets you up to be a good contributor at the next level regardless of if the offensive game ever quite develops all the way you could fill out a role like Matisse Thibel or you know something like that on the on the wing in the on the perimeter um that could be interesting for him regardless of what happens with the rest of his game but I just yeah like maybe this is more of a a bust based on value from where he was than than where he is now so like if he's sixth overall in the draft it's a very different pick to me than if he, when he was back in the twenties, you mm-hmm. know, like a month ago, like now it's Definitely. like, eh, I just don't know if the value is quite there that it was. Definitely. And I'm not completely sold on him creating offense because he, we never know. Like nobody thought Kawhi Leonard was going to turn into the offensive player. He was after his time with the Aztecs in San Diego state, but also because of Kawhi Leonard developing his offense, now we have a bunch of guys that we were way too high on thinking, oh, we'll just figure it out like Kawhi did. And that doesn't happen. Um, I will also say, I think in a group chat, I called him Michael Carter Williams Dundee, just because he's an Australian guard that will look to facilitate and play pretty good defense. So even I have waffled and wavered, but I'm. I think Dyson is... I said he's worth worth the guess in in my eyes. Um, so I guess it's my turn for busts. Let's have a conversation, Josh. You have him as one of your top five prospects. I think he is going to like. I want a thirty for thirty on him in five to ten years. I think Shaden Sharp is going to be a bust. And the reason I believe that he's going to be a bust is I don't I don't care that he doesn't want to answer the questions about his time at Kentucky. I don't care that he gives very apathetic remarks about his time and decisions at Kentucky. And Kentucky fans are being wild right now and like I hope Coach Cal oh, doesn't yeah. sit next to him during during the green room. I hope I hope that, that man doesn't get to ever ever state claim or wear the check the checks with with the blue and white uh the I, hate for shaden sharp while still claiming sean kemp as a kentucky 
legend is absurd to me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's right now. If Shannon Sharp isn't a boss and Shannon Sharp is, you know, one of the 10 best shooting guards in the NBA in like three or four years, you know. Yeah, that oh, yeah, they'll embrace it. They'll be yeah. like, what? What? Oh, he, I mean, like, he's part of the brotherhood. Um, right. <laughs> I, the, that begins, like, the shit's getting killed. Bryant, uh, shit's getting killed in the way that people look at some of the things he's been saying in interviews saying that he thinks he's going to be the best player in the NBA and stuff like that, which is a lot of like positive affirmation dream board stuff that you're supposed to say. Shaden Sharp in these interviews is saying some wild inflammatory stuff in the most apathetic tone. Yeah. Uh, His interview that I saw with the Pacers uh, earlier, I believe I saw it earlier today was like, I just looked at him. I was like, this guy sounds like he's like Allen Iverson in the league for 10 years, like tired of the press, like just done with it. He's acting like that before he's even been drafted. Like what, what is that apathy? Like, where does that come from at his age? Yeah. uh, The Pacers one kind of shocked me. Um, He he was interviewed, I believe over zoom uh, after working out with the Kings or doing some Kings interviews and the way that he talked about the Sacramento Kings, that dude had no idea who played on that team. Like legitimately, he was asked how he fit in. And he was like, uh, yeah, they got some guys on that team. And, <laughs> but like more worrying than that is he, he you know, he knows De'Aaron Fox. He knows ultimately Davion Mitchell and Sabonis. But the way he talked about his, how he fit in, he said that he'd be great on the ball or off the ball and quote unquote, I would be able to do my thing and I would make sure they're able to do their little thing. He said little thing. Like almost like, a, yeah, it won't be past the ball to Shaden every single time. I'll make sure that I pass the ball sometimes. Like, I'm sorry, that dude, that dude is so bought in on he he said in the Pacers interview, he said that uh he he doesn't think that the jump from uh to the nba is going to be really that much different than if a college player jumped to the nba like bro <laughs> what <laughs> what we, i don't i don't know did his high school system like did his state have a shot clock like high school yeah. basketball is the most like nonsensical unregulated thing i can think of in terms of the jump from high school to college and the college to the pros like i i feel like he he's maybe the riskiest pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. So he, I feel like he has one of the highest ceilings in the draft. But his his floor is like, um, you remember you remember all the the accusations people used to make about Andrew Wiggins? Like, is he is does he really care? Is he mm-hmm. is he really like bought in? Is he gonna be the? Is he gonna care about being the guy? Like, but that's that's Shaden Sharp right now for sure. Like mm-hmm. it, and, and and I feel like it's more realistic to project him to to be that I don't give a f guy than it it was to say that Andrew Wiggins was going to be that guy. Like Andrew <laughs> Andrew has been at every level. He's been relatively good. Like you know, I mean, maybe there were some moments with the wolf the T wolves where you were like, eh, I don't know if he's going to develop into a star. All those concerns were put the rest and then some this season, obviously, with uh, the Warriors. But, you know, I, Shaden Sharp, 
his floor is below Andrew Wiggins for sure. Yeah. I, and like with Andrew Wiggins, like even the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, uh, Draymond Green said it. I, I'll tell you this. Jimmy Butler liked him. You know who Jimmy Butler didn't like? The other Timberwolves star <laughs> that we're wondering, does he have the motor or not? Um, with Shaded, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I The apathy we, is definitely concerning. The <laughs> apathy is concerning in some ways. And then also, we're just extrapolating so much stuff from just like, mixtape videos that people saw right. where yeah he's hyper athletic yes he has a great three-point shot but out of nowhere i'm seeing like complimentary things about his like dribbling and his handles and like i have not seen anything that suggests that this dude will have like a guard one handle whatsoever um i i just don't see it i don't i don't see him as a number one guard i don't see him uh, being anything more than a volume shooting guard in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, part part of the intrigue for me is he's shown a high level ability to be a ball hawk on defense when he tries, like when he's really vested in the game. And it reminds me in ways of like Jalen Suggs a little bit, like that level of ball hawk, you know, attitude um, on defense. If he can harness that, on a regular consistent basis, then that makes his floor to me rise quite a bit. But like you said, there's just so many question marks. There's so much about him that has to go right still in his development for us to be like, okay, this was worth the pick. And, and you're right. That's just a lot of risk to put, especially on a franchise like the Kings that are, you know, potentially in a win now situation, Maybe if he ends up somewhere like Indiana or something, he has more time to just kind of like grow and develop, then that works better for his situation. But yeah, I, I just, I agree and I disagree in some ways. That's, yeah. that's the best I can say. Yeah. I, I feel like Shaden's going to either get a job, get, Shaden's either going to get his GM fired or get the GMs in front of his GM fired for whatever. <laughs> he ends up being so yeah if you're a gm that's probably not the right pick then <laughs> <laughs> all right josh who who are your two favorite prospects in this draft so regardless of draft position guys that i find interesting okay look this first pick is gonna be one that y'all already know how i feel about him never change andrew nimhard um you know <laughs> i i I'm just enamored with this game. I mean, I, I know it's some people can laugh, you know, like it can, it's fine. You can laugh at me. The guy has risen steadily up draft boards. This is not a only me opinion at this point. There are actual NBA executives who think Andrew Nemhart could be a first round pick in this draft, which is wild compared to where he was partway through the season where none of us thought he was even going to sniff an NBA roster next year. Or if he did, it was going to be like, eh, maybe he hangs in the hey, G League for a hey while. Now, or something. Hey, now, I thought he was a two-way player the whole time, two, two-way contract. I I said as soon as the season was over, now how in the hell are you going to pick J.D. Davidson over Andrew Nemhart? I thought he had second-round upside. I still don't know about first round upside but yeah I, I don't i don't ultimately think he's gonna end up in the first round i think he's gonna be but i think he's gonna be right around the top of the second round i think he's gonna be somewhere between like 30 and 40 um there's gonna be a, a team in that range who wants him to be their backup point guard 
for at least the next couple of years. And he has the potential to be a very, very good, consistent backup point guard in the NBA who could blossom into more, you know, with, with given time and, and development, especially in regards to his shooting, his consistency from, you know, outside. That has always really been the big question mark for Andrew's game at the next level. Um, is he going to ever be consistent from the perimeter? I think he showed at Gonzaga that given the opportunity to be paired with other adept scoring guards, that he can be highly efficient from Mm -hmm. outside when needed. There were definitely times where he still disappeared with his shot, but he drastically improved his shooting as his career progressed with the Zags um, from his time in Florida and also in his time in high school, you know, and, and ultimately I just, I feel like he brings a lot to the table defensively he's not he maybe he's not the 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 jump off the page defender like a Jalen Suggs or uh you know or even Jaden Ivey some of the stuff he can do with his athleticism but he is an above average defender you know and, and he's he's also so adept in the pick and roll and so capable of utilizing that system that I feel like there's a lot of teams out there that that's what they need. They need a guy like him who can be just that steady hand who can thrive in pick and roll scenarios at the next level. Okay. So if Andrew Nemhard is going to get drafted in the first round or the second round, it's likely to be a team trying to win. Now a team that's trying to either, you know, it's going to be a playoff team, a team that's trying to stay in the playoffs Take a take another step by having an even better second team, second rotation. Who, what NBA team do you want to take your guy? Hmm. That is, <laughs> that's an interesting uh, discussion because, you know, there, there's a couple of teams that I think would, would be able to, to utilize him better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a team like Toronto, um, potentially, um, potentially Denver, um, trying to think of some other guys out there who are in that draft range, like, uh, you know, 28 through 40 ish, mm-hmm. uh, I... Cle- Cleveland, maybe like, especially if they're going to move off Colin Sexton, which is a possibility um i so there's two teams specifically that i think he would be really interesting with and granted he wouldn't have as big of a role as you know toronto like you mentioned or denver just because um while i love fred van fleet fred van fleet i think you know ultimately there's more room for a second team yeah gary trent sometimes uh, plays on ball, but not often. Um, and then with Denver, I don't, I just don't know just because it, the the roster composition is going to change a lot with Jamal Murray and um, Michael Porter Jr. coming back. And mm-hmm. then also we don't, re- seems like they really like Bones Highland, but I don't know how it looks to get a senior venerated point guard in the draft to add to Bones Highland. That's Two true. teams. Two teams that I haven't seen. Uh, I don't know if Nemhard has worked out for them, but two teams that I would really like. I don't. I know that people like him going to the Grizzlies, and I think that could work. But 
I think that his game is just so different from Jaws. It'd be kind of jarring to have him plug in for Jaw. Um, I know that people want him on Utah for a lot of obvious reasons, but I don't want him on that boring ass, horrendous franchise. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't wish that upon anyone. Um, I mean, Joe Ingles was too cool for the Utah Jazz, and I don't think Rudy Gobert is going to stay around. So that kind of Outside of if the Utah Jazz are totally fine with just sticking with Rudy Gobert, I want two teams. One, if DeAndre Ayton stays, the Phoenix Suns, him being the Chris Paul understudy seems like a perfect fit. Him doing the pick and roll of DeAndre Ayton, getting DeAndre Ayton more touches because that's honestly why DeAndre Ayton has been so upset or has been disgruntled. I wouldn't say so upset. Now, that's also if Monty wants DeAndre to stick around, which it didn't sound like after the season, but, you know, tempers flare. The other team, we saw that they did not have a true point guard. And there's a player that it seems very intriguing to ready to take another step. Him as the second guard, first point guard off the bench for the Boston Celtics would be pretty damn spicy. The idea of increasing Robert Williams' role on the team, he seems ready to take another step. Uh, if Al Horford is is able to stick around, if they want, if they know what Al Horford's doing, him with Al Horford would be great. Him popping the ball out in, in like a, a an attack the basket role to two premier three point shooters and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown would be great. Clearly, I, I I don't know. I don't I don't think. Andrew will be necessarily a starting point guard, but I think he could be an adept rotational guard, which is what both of those teams were lacking horrendously this year. Yeah. I, I've also thought about maybe the Warriors or something like um, just getting inserted into, you know, a, a situation where you have, you have the, the ability to kind of ease into that role and be, um, a really quality backup to Steph and, and that backcourt. Um, I don't think he would get as many minutes with that team, obviously, especially considering, you know, they definitely shortened their, their bench during the playoffs. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, yeah, it, there's, there's a lot of really interesting possibilities for him. Um, the Memphis one to me is the one that makes me scratch the head, my head the most because I feel like Jones is such an interesting comparison to him at the next level. And they already have uh, that guy, you know, yeah. like wh I, why, why do you draft? Like they'll be so superfluous for them to, to take Nemhard in addition to what they already have with Jones. So I don't know. Yeah. I think the only way that that Memphis one works is if they move off of Jones because Jones is probably going to want more money, but also I feel like a team like the Knicks is going to be desperate for a point guard and they won't they'll they'll get cold feet giving what the Mavericks want for Jalen Brunson or what the Jazz clearly want for Donovan Mitchell. But yeah, I totally agree with you. I don't think that's necessarily gonna fit. Um, who is your other uh favorite prospect? So the other guy is another Pacific Northwest. Uh well, I guess he's from the Pacific Northwest, although he didn't play there collegiately. Um, that would be Tari Eason. Um Tari Eason is 
he just has this this physical profile to him that is really intriguing at the next level. He's got huge hands, big wingspan. Um, you know, he, he he's very versatile as a defender. He can pretty much guard one through four at this next level. Um, and, you know, he, he doesn't quite have the perimeter game yet that you would you would kind of want. But I feel like that's something that could come from him over time. Um, he's relatively a good good player off the dribble uh he's you know a, a relatively good shooter to a, a certain range um and he's good in the low post um he's a quality rebounder he's just very energetic oh you know has a really good motor um that I, I just think I think right now he he also kind of fits into that range of value as a value pick in that middle of the first round where a team could get him kind of like how what the Spurs got with Kawhi Leonard. Um, you know, like could he be? I don't think maybe like poor man's Kawhi down the road, you know, but that's still intriguing at this next level. Like if you were to get poor man's Kawhi, you know, that's that's the kind of ceiling that he could potentially bring to the to to the the, the NBA. Yeah. Tar Tar Easton's a super fascinating prospect to me. Um, just because I feel like he's risen in a lot of ways because he has such a high floor and he's progressed. He progressed so much over his journey in college that it's really hard to argue that he couldn't grow more considering what he did, you know, in his 20th year. Um, I'm just, I'm just curious if he is going to be more than a versatile defender. And if he is, yeah, he's arguably a steal. And in this draft class, I feel like he's worthy of a lottery pick for sure. Um, it's just his defense is just so consistent that it's hard not to to like him as a prospect. Yeah. And, you know, like you said earlier on, on the pod, um, you know, nobody thought Kawhi was going to develop into the offensive player that he became. Is Tari going to ever get to that? No, I, I don't think that that's hard to project to him to that level. But even if he's like 50% of that, what, what is he at worst? Like a, a Jeremy Grant or, you know, something like that at the next level. Like that's, that's a still a really good ceiling for, for a guy like him. And, and I think the fact that he is such a willing and capable defender makes his value significantly more right now. Um, and over the next few years to be able to get those rotational minutes to potentially get a chance to develop an offensive game. Um, whereas another guy who doesn't have that defensive tenacity, he, he may not get the, the minutes to ever really grow from that, that pick point in the draft. So yeah, value um, overall defensive ability, you know, his hustle, like all those things just to me read like a quality defensive, uh, you know, three, maybe, maybe eventually if he can get that three ball to become like a three and D type player at the next level. Yeah, I, t I totally agree. Um, okay. So we talked about one of my guys in Dyson Daniels who has a range, but I just, I just, th I just think he's such an interesting fit. And I, and again, I think, one of the G League overtime guys is going to pop from the guard position and it really make a lot of guys look stupid for for just only trusting college players, even though we're saying that they don't trust college players that much because look at what is going on with Ty Ty Washington and Kennedy Chandler stock. It's hopefully in the early 20s, but who knows? Yeah. Um, my other 
favorite player is a guy that I was high on all season. I was high on him in my preseason best players in the conference. Uh, alongside Jamari Bouye, I was saying, hey, there's another guy in the WCC that can start for the Gonzaga Bulldogs if he was on the roster. Mm-hmm. The best of three guys that share his name. It is Jalen Williams from Santa Clara. Glad you you distincted, you know, like made, made sure people know you're talking about the one from Santa Clara because I am not as high on the other two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like I was kind of high on the Arkansas Jalen Williams until like really watching more tape and that guy like it's his – his dominance was simply because there's no other big that could really get things done for Arkansas. So we got a lot of rebounds that like were like stat filler rebounds and his dominance was flopping. Yeah. He was really good at uh, putting two hands together at his waist and uh, just looking at the ref while he was on his ass. Uh, my reason for Jalen Williams of Santa Clara is that he has proven over this process that he can fulfill so many needs. He has the size of an NBA player. He has plus length. He has over a seven foot wingspan as a six foot six guard. And so we talked about Vrinkic being the guy for them going into the season, but like legitimately, even regardless of Vrinkic getting mono and everything like that, Jalen Williams was the best player on that team. And Jalen Williams carried that team to a successful season despite joseph being gone and that and while Keyshawn justice and other guys were solid contributors that team was a two d two guy team in a lot of ways um and he was asked jalen was asked to do so much on the ball that a lot of people were wondering okay but he's not going to be ball on his hands high volume player at the next level what is that what does that mean and Throughout the combine, throughout the scrimmages, he was still one of the best players on the court and one of the most consistent players on the court. He's he can play, he can play shooting guard, he can play small forward. He's going to be a plus defender. He's a tenacious defender. I think that Jalen Williams, he look, he's worked himself from undrafted to second round to when the combine started. Okay, he's a first rounder to when the combine ended. Hey, maybe he's a lottery pick, and now. You know, people wouldn't be shocked if he's a lottery pick. And I think when he is a lottery pick, that's just another, you know, flag to wave in front of the faces of people that say that the WCC is in real conference despite getting three teams into the tournament. Jalen Williams is going to be a legitimate rotational player for years to come. Yeah, he's I, th- I think part of the thing about him that's so intriguing to me is. Um, just his end over end improvement every single year at Santa Clara and how he was able to just become this, like he put it all together this year, like so so much so that when I watched Santa Clara early on this season, I mean, my eyes just got big every single time I saw him with the ball. I was like, okay, all right, what you doing next? Like he's exciting. He's interesting. Uh, you know, for his ability to create off the off the dribble, he's exciting for his shooting. Like he is always the guy at the end of the game who you want the ball. You want the ball in his hands because he is clutch. He has that clutch ability, and he's he's a much better athlete 
than people give the WCC credit for mm -hmm. as a whole. His athleticism jumps off the page. Um, you know, and, and ultimately he he can also you know play really like he he can when he gets into the he can play back down in the post when needed like sometimes yeah. like it's it's interesting to see just the 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 versatility that he brings offensively and it, you know it's kind of funny you mentioned his tenacious defend defensive ability because i've seen some scouting reports online to talk about well his defense isn't quite up to snuff yet i'm like did you watch any no. santa clara film because they i don't did feel it. like you did they did <laughs> like, it I and, and there's there's talk of oh he's just now emerging as an outside shooter. Uh okay. That's a huge part of his game. Like he's very much a good perimeter scorer. I I don't know. I I think it's funny. One of the things I am looking at NBA scouting live.com right now. The cons needs to improve his defense. Just now is a good outside shooter, can struggle to score in traffic. <laughs> What? <laughs> like what? Tell that tell that to every single WCC team that just zeroed in on him and then made sure that there was always a body on Frankich and then collapsed doubled whenever Frankich gathered the ball. Because it was stop Jalen. It wasn't stop Joseph for a, yeah. a lot of teams. And like legitimately, I I a lot of the times, uh, college players will be forced to play out of position because their coach is, has this uh, tired idea of what uh, their game is based off of size and measurables and all, all things like that. I think the so struggling sophomore season that the Broncos had for Jalen Williams to force him to be a point guard was such a big turning point for him as a player because, as you mentioned, he took big growth every step of the way him being forced to be a point guard when he clearly he's a shooting guard clearly off ball plus defender i think that just blossomed him ga his game into like we watched it in the in the wcc tournament like teams teams couldn't figure out a way to stop him like he almost yeah. forced his way into the championship game so i think i think jalen williams is easily easily a top 20 player in this draft and unlike a lot of rising sleepers that we've seen names thrown around like leonard miller and other guys i think that his is the name that is going to legitimately stick around get the draft pick that he needs and if he falls he's falling to a playoff team that could instantly use his ability yeah i the two the two pieces to him and then I think that the this scouting report was was right about was that what if what does he look like at the next level when his usage rates aren't what they are now at Santa Clara when he's not the guy like where where does he quite fit with his role um, can he adjust to that lesser role the lesser usage rate and then but the other piece was they said that sometimes that he can settle uh, for bad shots you know, in, in high volume, like in certain games. And that that's true too. But if he's going to be a lesser usage player, then suddenly that's not a thing anymore. He's not going to have the ball in his hands to, to do that. He's not going to be green lit to do that at the next level. So that, that just, it's like one counteracts the other, you know, yeah. I, I just, I think that he's a guy that just, he, he, he's just a guy that gets it. 
Mm-hmm. He knows he knows how to work hard, and he's proven time and time again that he's willing to adjust to whatever role the coach gives you. Like you said, when he was forced to be a playmaker, um, and and it helped him blossom into the player he is now. And I think that if you allow him to do that at the next level, the same could be said. Like you'll see end over end improvement every single year. If you were tell, saying, yeah, I'd like to see Jalen Williams as a cutter and off screens in college, you know what Jalen Williams would say? Yeah, me too. I would have loved that ability too. <laughs> but instead, I had to carry a, a carry an offense for most of my collegiate career. So, yeah, I'm intrigued by Jalen Williams. Uh, so, we also talked to another uh, friend of a WCC team. Uh, Here is our interview with Kings Herald and NBA draft analyst, Bryant West, uh, graduate of St. Mary's. All right, joining us today, Bryant West, writer and draft analyst for the Kings Herald. You can find him on Twitter at BSWest5. And he also happens to be an alum of a certain institution in Moraga, the St. Mary's Gales. Bryant, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys, I appreciate it. I'm always happy to talk to uh, my WCC brothers, assuming uh, that's still <laughs> happening. Yeah. That you guys didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Like, bo- say, 700 miles east. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going we're gonna to do continue the South, Southwest Airlines flights for now. Uh, we'll see what happens down the road. <laughs> Um, what, what era of St. Mary's hoops were you at school for? You know, it's really funny. My, my WCC origin story started with Gonzaga was legitimately the first school that sent me any marketing material. I have no idea why or how, cause I lived in Podunk, California. Um, but they were really interested. And I remember thinking, ah, you know, I, I, I'm, growing as a basketball fan, but I'm not going to make my decision based on, on sports programs. I really want to go for academics and I really like to say Mary's. And then I go there and that's like the beginning of the, that's, I, I got there same year Patty Mills did. So yeah. that was really when St. Mary's took the big leap and it was like, whoa, what did I just walk into? Um, so I was there for Patty Mills, Diamond Simpson, um, Omar Samhan, Delhi was there. So I, I really joined at the right time for St. Mary's, the right time for WCC hoops, honestly. So, um, and and uh, Zach Farmer, who I know you guys have talked to many times yeah. on your Twitter spaces, he hired me onto the St. Mary's Collegian as the sports editor, and the rest is just history. Here I am. Yeah, I, I feel like when you mentioned the St. Mary's players, you mentioned probably the last great St. Mary's players that Gonzaga fans didn't despise in Patrick Mills, <laughs> Pat Sachs, and then two of like, I don't know. I don't think like we've talked about Gonzaga rivalries and whatnot, but I'm sorry, BYU fans. There is no BYU player that will be have their names uttered in the same way that Gonzaga fans talk about Matthew Delavadova or Omar yeah. Samhan. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which, which is absolutely hilarious because Omar was the most Gonzaga big I'd ever seen play for St. Mary's by far. Like he had a propensity just to piss everybody off if he wasn't on their team. And that's what we loved about him. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll never forget reading an article where Omar Samhan says, I could never live in Spokane. The women are too <laughs> ugly. <laughs> uh, and that was, you know, I, I heard some more things around the St. Mary's <laughs> campus is that, uh, you know, that was kind of tame for what he would say oh, when, uh, when we were off the record. So, <laughs> yeah, he, he played villain so well. And yeah. to be to be honest, like I honestly don't think that even Delhi, like Sam Hand takes the cake to me anyways, oh. is like being the villain in the WCC for Gonzaga. Um, and, and even to this day, like if I see him in the crowd at the game or, you know, like on TV or something like I, I still kind of like I feel a little bit deep in my soul. Josh <laughs> turns into the uh, Arthur the Aardvark fist gif when he sees Omar <laughs> Sam. Uh, yeah, he, he definitely um villanova fans are never gonna get him either <laughs> oh no there's no I'll way. tell you that yeah um, i i think those those teams like they just epitomize to me what saint mary's is to gonzaga and also just it, it was like you said the rising tide like the, the growth of the program you could see it just happening over that like three or four year period and now pretty much every year you know even last year where some some people had kind of mixed expectations for what the gales were going to do like y'all still showed up and and i just i appreciate that it's you know top three top four every single season no matter what yeah it, I, I, one thing i love about randy bennett's coaching style and honestly that guy can just have a lifetime contract for all, all that i care it's amazing that he hasn't gone somewhere else by now um he just has this ability to turn these guy turn some guy who's like ninth man as a sophomore into a star by his junior year like jordan ford absolutely <laughs> came from out of nowhere um and and londale um last year and um I'm, you know every year this team I'm, this team just changes themselves every year and 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 they're not going to always compete with the big dog but when they do it's pretty nice I would say even like last year, I, the roster didn't seem like some some team that was going to be world beaters, and that is like legitimately the best St. Mary's defense I've seen my mm. time following WCC basketball. So I'm just fascinated. Do you see that the program taking another step after last season's success? I mean, if they can pull another Tommy Cousy out of the out of thin air, like he wasn't even starting until March. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm never going to bet against Bennett figuring something out. Um, but you know, it, it, until that happens, like I did not think this Gales team was going to win an NCAA tournament game this year. Just fully didn't think that was going to happen. Um, well, they, and they bludgeoned them. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and they not only did but they won a game against the number one team in the nation and yeah. stopped the number two prospect on my draft board uh two times so yeah number two draft prospect on your board what a tease here we go yeah. um so as you're you also cover the sacramento kings are, are the kings your team and how did we get there <laughs> <laughs> My basketball journey legitimately started by going to a uh, summer party where game one of the 2002 Lakers Kings Western Conference Finals was on TV. And I realized, oh, I actually really like basketball. And then, of course, the Kings lost that series in a heartbreaking seven games. And it has been absolutely downhill ever since. 
Um, <laughs> they've been a joke of the sports world for 16 years now. And uh, I honestly don't know that that's ever going to change anytime soon. Uh, but, you know, they've got pieces in place if they can really nail the number four overall pick this year. It's pretty wild to me to think about the fact that the Sonics made the postseason <laughs> more recently than the Kings did. And we haven't had a team in 14, 15 years <laughs> yeah. now. So. No, they, they also kicked the ever-loving shit out of the last good Kings team. <laughs> like, I think it was 06. That yeah. Sonics team, like, had no business on paper beating the Kings, and they won in like five, I want to say. So, um, it it it's just it's been absolutely laughable. So, I guess, I guess the the consolation is you actually still have a team. So, yeah, you know, yeah. for, for you, that's, that's a, a a win, I guess. Josh, Lord, that's a Josh. This Lord is help gonna, me. Lord help. Lord, <laughs> Lord help me. I, I I if if I could just become adam silver for a day i would immediately open up expansion franchises in seattle and vancouver because i love vancouver it just there's no absolutely no reason this league is as talented as it's ever been it's as deep as it's ever been seattle has always been a top 10 nba market i don't have any idea why expansion wasn't on the table way back when you know they were trying to buy the kings so Mm -hmm. it boggles my mind so, Josh, this is a good hypothetical. As a Sonics fan, would you take the Sonics' lasting memory or have the Kings right now? <laughs> uh, oh, that is a you know. Honestly, I'll I'll take the Sonics' lasting memory because in some ways the nostalgia of it is is worth more at the moment. We we no lo- offense, no offense at all, Brian. No, no. I promise you, there are a lot of Kings fans who back in like 2012, 2013 were just like, I don't care if this team is terrible; they just have to stay. I can't lose this team, and now they're just like. Was that a fucking monkey's paw or something? What the hell? <laughs> what did we do? So, uh, also as a big fan of the Kings in the early aughts, I have to ask, uh, the rumors or the rumblings of an unofficial visit by Peja Soyakovich's son, Andre, at St. Mary's, how badly, what would you give? In terms of monkey paw, like how much would you give to get Andre Soyakovich? on the gills uh, a year of my life maybe i don't know <laughs> like I, I remember when i i heard about his unofficial visit like before he was this big name prospect and it was just like and i pulled up you know his recruiting pages and boy this guy's not looking at any of the top schools that would just be super cool and then suddenly like he's a four-star project prospect he's getting <laughs> visits and promises from everybody i'm just like Damn it, that would have been great. <laughs> He's really, really good too. I've watched yeah. a few of his videos and I'm I'm honestly like it, it makes sense. Yeah, okay, that's Paige's son. <laughs> he he should absolutely be a WCC son. Absolutely. Yes. Don't go out of the conference. Well, and then is, what is the cheat code? Sarunas's son and Paige's <laughs> son on the same team? Are you kidding? Uh oh, let's not do that. Let's not do that. <laughs> Uh, I got to say one more because because we're talking about the Kings. Um, everybody knows Kings made a big trade to uh, go get Domas uh, in March. And I got to say in the moment, the fact that we were just trading for a, a Zag wasn't very high on my thought list <laughs> just because 
Uh, everybody in Sacramento, including me, was such a huge fan of Tyrese Halliburton. But I console myself by knowing that Sabonis was the first Zag prospect that I legitimately went all in on as a player. Like, I think he was like 10th on my board last year, with, uh, that year, which was like mm. fairly reasonable for where he was going. Yeah. And boy, did he exceed every expectation I had for him, especially on offense. Um, he's he's a, a joy to watch, and so much so that I can almost forget those two years where he absolutely demolished <laughs> my Gales. Uh, I don't think they won a game when he was there. Yeah, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, yeah I mean, he, Domus. The thing about him is that the technic the technical ability he has around the rim, and how many post moves he has to just make people look absolutely absurd on defense. I I just I love I love that fit for the Kings. I love that fit for De'Aaron Fox because I feel like it's going to make him all the more efficient as these next couple of seasons progress and they get to play together more. And then I also really just feel like you guys are in prime position. Hopefully, if you hit in this draft on some sort of supporting piece for those two players, this team could be set up to finally end some of that sadness for the last 16 years that you guys have had. Yeah. Lord, Lord, hoping that's what happens because you know if they nail this draft pick and Mike Brown really comes in and he brings any sort of the defense over from Golden State, this team has the pieces in place and and there is no denying that Sabonis is a good fit with De'Aaron Fox. Um, the the real question for Sacramento always has been, can you actually nail that draft pick? Because yeah. Lord help him. Besides Fox. Fox is like the only guy in the past decade. Well, besides DeMarcus Cousins, he's the only guy in this whole time that I've been really paying attention to the draft that they've nailed. So I guess mm-hmm. they nailed Halliburton too, but granted, yeah, yeah. that was well, the piece that got you some bonus. But yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely true. So, um, and go is ahead. Your, yeah, is your hope that they keep the pick or are you intrigued at all in any of the, I mean, there's always rumblings of King's trades, but are you yeah. intrigued at all with the idea of like John Collins? If I had my way, I have for months thought that this was a top four draft, some order of, of Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith Jr., Paulo Bancaro, Jan Ivey. I've always, I've thought that for months. In my mind, just stay at four and take whichever one of them is available or ideally I'd love for them to trade up to number two because I to either one or two. I know Orlando's not going to do that. I think or OKC has to be talked into it. They probably won't do anything about it. But to me, Jabari Smith Jr. and Chet Holmgren have the ideal spot of both being, in my mind, two of the best players in this draft, but also being absolutely amazing fits for Sacramento. So um, in my dream world, they trade up to two and they get one of those two guys. Um, but you know, there, there are plenty of reasonable trade back options. Like Monty McNair is the Kings general managers playing this exactly like I'd want him to. He's, he's putting it out there. How many teams are coming calling for that number four pick? He's setting it up as a bidding war. And, you know, I, I think last year we had a lot of the same conversations. I think he's just going to trade out of this. And then all of a sudden they kick, they, uh, drafted, uh, your old friend, uh, Davion Mitchell. Oh yeah. Who just, just came out of nowhere in ter- for Sacramento. Um, but you know, he's going to take who he thinks is the best player available fit be damned. 
So I, I think that we're probably overthinking it a little bit if we just keep focusing on trades. But if they do trade back a little bit, there are plenty of veterans who could help this team pretty quickly. Can I ask in your mind, what sets Jaden uh, Ivy apart from maybe Shaden Sharp or any of the other top guards um, in that top 10 lottery range for you that makes him a clear cut fourth or somewhere in that top four uh, prospect? I just have so much confidence in his offensive game at the next level. Like he's a two level scorer and the two of them are probably the hardest thing for a on-ball creator to develop as absolutely elite an athlete as you could ask for top end speed, explosiveness, quickness. Um, he absolutely needs to find a kind of a mid range shot. He needs to improve his focus on defense. There are some skill redundancy concerns with the Aaron Fox, but he just made it work all year long for Purdue. He absolutely showed an elite ability to break down defenses, just blow by guys in an absolutely outrageous level. Um, and honestly, I think he showed a lot of off ball skills that would make me excited to see him play with this team. He was a efficient catch and shoot shooter on good volume. He was dangerous off of screens and cuts to the basket. It wasn't like painter was just playing him as the, go to the balls in your hand at all times kid figure it out um which i kind of think many people think of when they think of oh here's a guard in the top five of a draft um and as opposed to like sharp you know we've seen ivy do it at the elite level we've seen him break down big 10 defenses time and time again um and you know sharp that's a lot more risky in my mind right Mm -hmm. yeah so in, in your opinion, Ivy has the higher floor and maybe not necessarily the ceiling of Sharp, but a pretty high ceiling nonetheless. I, Sharp... I honestly I honestly think he's got just as high a ceiling okay. as Sharp. Um, you know, Sharp has a little bit more height and is just as athletic. I don't want to take anything away from him. His quick sure. pull-up, that can translate immediately. But at the same time, like what Jaden was doing, how many times he just blew through guys both in the half court and in the open court just to get dunks, like that kind of stuff almost always translates. It's I'd not heard, just a guy who's just winning with athleticism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had heard that the Kings did not get a workout with Ivy. Is that correct? That he was really focused on Detroit and Orlando for some reason? Yeah. I th- last I heard, those were the only two teams that he had worked out with. Um, and I don't blame him because, like, Orlando would be a good fit for him. OKC would be a great fit for him. I'm not sure why he's not meeting with OKC. Um, and, and you know, it's always hard on paper just be like, why don't guys want to come to Sacramento? I don't get it. Um, and I, I know his mom played in Detroit and apparently grew up a Pistons fan. So I don't take that away from him. Mm-hmm. Um, but same time, like, the Kings can't take the player's wants and needs into full consideration. And he'd be a really good fit in Sacramento in terms of his off-ball ability next to Fox. And if Mike Brown can get him to uh, go in on his defense, like he's a two-way star. So if you you had to predict for the Kings this next season, assuming that Jaden Ivey is the pick and he's in the fold, um, heading into with the roster you all have, what are your expectations for that team? Do you think this is a, a team that could potentially challenge for a, a playoff spot? 
I think that this would be a team that I would bet to be in one of those playoff spots, nine or 10. I don't know that I'd bet money that they'd make it, but, you know, just a year with a actually, you know, good NBA head coach, uh, a year of Fox and Sabonis figuring it out together. Um, you know, the, the pieces are there. They just have to make it work. Yeah. Outside of that top four, who do you who who are your guys in this draft? Who do you think is like really great value uh, back half of the lottery and even later? Well, if Kings were sitting at five, I would say that they should take Keegan Murray, um, but he's not really an unknown at this point. Yeah, um, my favorite guy, honestly, for a long time has been AJ Griffin. Um, I, he's just as dynamic a shooter as you could ask for one of the best deep shot makers in recent draft classes shows promise off the dribbling at the rim um he he is an absolutely piss poor defender at this point he really <laughs> needs to get that in his head and uh, but you know motor wise one of the things that you always look for in these kind of one and done prospects is how much do they actually care on defense that to me often means more than okay are they actually like figuring it out on defense because so mm -hmm. few guys at their age it's easier for these high school athletes who have had the ball in their hands to adjust to scoring than it is on defense um and so i always look for guys with high motors on defense and i think that aj griffin uh tried more on defense than a lot of one and done prospects that i've ever watched um and if you know, there's something to be said. He he lost his junior year to a kneecap injury. And then his senior year at high school couldn't play because he lived in New York and they shut down due to COVID. Um, so he is kind of on the developmental back foot. And I think that during Coach K's full retirement tour, they weren't quite as flexible with anybody on that <laughs> roster as they were with Bancaro and not take anything away from Paulo Bancaro. He absolutely is a top three player in this class in my mind. But I honestly do kind of wonder if AJ Griffin has, you know, if he gets to a smart team that kind of helps him figure out, hey, maybe you shouldn't have added 40 pounds of muscle before you just jumped into Duke and let's figure out some level of flexibility and strength, uh, figure out his defense, help him, figure out how to score more at the rim. Like he could be a three level scorer that offers the biggest need for 90% of NBA teams. So. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm higher on the EJ Griffin than a lot of folks are. And I just feel like, yeah, like you mentioned with coach K's retirement tour, I don't, I don't think anyone outside of Paula was really given the opportunity for a consistent yeah. style of play and everything like that. I mean, even looking at Mark Williams, I feel like Mark Williams is underrated on the offensive end because he was only really allowed to shine on the defensive end. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And this has been a problem with Duke for a while. Um, and, you know, honestly, that's it. as much as it's hurt to see Gonzaga really succeed with these one and done guys. I always prefer it because so much more than these other one and done schools, I feel like it just sets up for a better um, collegiate foundation of success than Duke has been in recent years with these one and done prospects. Because every one of those guys who goes to Duke, it's like, I don't know what to take from this. 
Yeah. Paulo is as obvious as you could get. Like he, he, you can't look at his three level scoring and playmaking and just be like, I don't know what that guy's going to do with the ball in his hands, but you know, it's, it's a lot messier with other Duke prospects in the last couple of years. So who do you, who are you lower on in this draft than you think most people are? Like, is there anyone that you're like, I don't really get what the hype is on this. Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm really much lower on anybody. It feels weird. Like I've had my one through five set for a while now, the six through 14, man, I can't honestly (laughs) think of a harder draft for to rank than it, it. I have Jeremy Sohan like 11th and that feels like an insult. Like, um, it, it, it's just, it's in Johnny Davis. He's like 13th on my big board. How is one of the best <laughs> collegiate players last year that low on my big board? Yeah. So, um, I guess I'm going to be lower than most people on sharp just because I, I, I pretty much do my big board as a King centric big board. And I, you know, I'm much more afraid of the Kings taking that sort of risk than I would be like. Portland or Detroit or Indiana, you know, somebody where it's like, okay, we've got some time. We've got some patience. Now, if you're coming to the Kings, you have to be able to can immediately contribute in at least one thing. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tuck and me kind of talked about that a little bit earlier and he was able to kind of sway me a little bit that maybe, maybe, you know, somebody like, who doesn't want to work out, you know, it, it makes a little bit more sense why they decided to not come like Jaden Ivy or whatever. Um, because it's, it's, do you, do you have a defined role in that mm-hmm. situation with Fox, you know? Yeah. And I, and I just thought like, also like Shaden Sharp, like, does he fit the King's situation right now? Like in my opinion, he was the fourth guy, like in my head that I've been throwing out there because his ceiling is just absurd to me. But does he fit what the Kings are trying to do right now? That's it's, it's really hard to see him playing much of a key role for at least the next couple of years while he's getting his feet under him, um, you know, in, in the league. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of, it's interesting. You have Johnny Davis a little lower because I feel like maybe he would fit what the Kings do a little bit more than some of the guys in that lottery range. I don't know. Just yeah, <laughs> to me, it's all about what of we saw for Johnny Davis at Wisconsin translates to the next level, because like we know he's the one of the toughest shot makers in a while. Um, that mid-range pull-up game, that pick and roll game, those are both great. That's just not what the Kings would ask him to do. Mm-hmm. Like Jaden mm-hmm. Ivey's off-ball ability w- would be so much better a fit with fox but at the same time like johnny davis is a world different defender that's not even Mm -hmm. close so in that aspect i get it um and like i said i feel bad having johnny davis that low (laughs) yeah i honestly feel like if he hadn't been the only guy creating for that team he probably wouldn't have seen such a huge efficiency drop in Mm -hmm. his deep shot late in the season probably wouldn't have been as so tired uh, probably would have stayed, you know, in in most NBA teams' top ten. Maybe he still goes there. I don't know. There's plenty of smart teams who can see what he was early in the year and say, "No, nah, that's a guy that we have to take." So, um, but I don't know. Jalen Duran, he's 
12th for me. That feels like an insult. So, yeah, Jalen, Dur- who, how do you evaluate like the conversation between Jalen Dern and other centers like Jalen Dern versus Mark Williams? Yeah, that one's kind of just in terms of upside in terms of beyond shot blocking. Like, I don't think either one of them has proven that at least from their college tape. And again, it's not like Memphis tape is any less messy than Duke was like, they didn't yeah. have a single playmaker on that team. Right. Um, it, it's, it's hard to say anything more than I really like Jalen Duran's uh, flexibility and space on defense more than I like Mark Williams, mm. um, which to me is kind of a selling point especially for the Kings. If you're kind of looking next to Sabonis, like you need your, you need that four to be somewhat more rangy mm-hmm. or an elite shot blocker, which both of them are. But um, to, if you guys don't mind, can we circle back to the, the hometown hero? Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's talk about this. You had Chet too. Who do you yeah. have one? I have Jabari Smith jr. One. And uh, I won't, Pretty much any order of those top four, I'm going to understand a case for. Um, Chet at two, to me, like, he's an ideal fit next to Sabonis. Mm-hmm. It's it's really weird to say that, but I, I keep having, because you guys know, you guys know this. Anybody who, who just starts and ends the conversation with, well, he's so skinny. How's he going to bang up against the biggest centers in the league? It's just like, did you watch what he was doing in college? Right in so many ways did you see who he was paired up with right my my favorite my favorite are the people that are like that saw you know maybe five seconds of that memphis game that bring up jalen duran dunking over him saying like see he couldn't handle an nba big and it's like okay uh what was jalen duran's field goal percentage in that game did you see the other like four times that (laughs) holmgren got the better of him in the paint and i don't want to like i don't even think both either of those guys had like great games by Mm -hmm. their standards i think they were both kind of put off by how physical and dominant the other guy was. It was one of those only games where the two of them were matching up against legitimate NBA size. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, I, I, he's the most physical, competitive big I've ever seen on that program. Yeah. Oh, and that's definitely. saying something. I mean, the, 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 pers- the plus minus of when Chet was on the floor versus when Chet was off the floor in terms of opponent scoring was just astronomical in yeah. terms of how, how, how much he saved that defense. Well, and, yeah. and this idea that, that he needs to add muscle or weight to his frame, if you've watched him play at all, what what about his style of play would indicate to, to you or anyone who's watched him play that it's necessary for him to get slower? Like this guy literally can run the court in five to 10 strides from anywhere on the court from one end to the other. He can push the ball. He can, he can pass at a relatively elite level for his size. He is able to create his own shot. He's able to find, find him, you know, a shot in space. Like the, the thing that really like him in transition from three is a cheat code, literally. Like it's, it doesn't even make sense. Like 
if you if you saw Kevin Durant coming out of college, there were there were similar accusations about Durant coming to the pros and being muscled out of position. Kevin Durant has not really added that much to his frame since he was in college. He has for sure, but like he's not he has never ever been a big guy and he doesn't need to be because it would completely ruin his style of play. The same could be said for Chet Holmgren. If you want him to add 40 or 50 pounds to his frame, oh God, no. you will destroy him. He is not yeah. going to be a useful player in the league at that point. He, his entire thing is that he is almost seven foot two, seven foot three, and he can run the court like a gazelle. Let yeah. him run the court like a gazelle. Yeah. I, I totally agree with all that. A guy his size with that length just shouldn't be that fluid and quick at right. all. Um, I, I know that some smart team's going to have to help him figure out how to add a little bit. I don't think a 40, 50 pounds is even possible unless you're just putting him on the floor. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, dudes at every position in the NBA, like there are guards who are going to be stronger than him. They're going to go at him time and time again until he proves he can do something about it. But that's not a challenge for him. Like mm-hmm. he figured it out at every stage of his career to this point. Um, and ideally, like that's why you want him with a guy with Sabonis's frame and skill set anyway. Exactly. Like, the the pairing is as ideal as a St. Mary's fan could be saying of two Gonzaga guys. <laughs> how how crushing would it be as a St. Mary's fans if <laughs> if your two best players were Gonzaga Bulldogs? You don't even know. I, I, I go on the Kings Bulls podcast a lot, which is hosted by Brendan Nunes, who's a really smart up-and-coming media guy in Sacramento. And we did a podcast a while ago about Chet, and he made me promise on air that if they draft Chet Holmgren, he will buy me a Chet Holmgren Gonzaga jersey, and I have to wear it. <laughs> that will be crushing. But at the same time, like if it takes the evil overlords coming and taking my pro basketball team to get them out of this playoff slump, like I'll sell my soul. I won't care <laughs> at that point. The pairing is just too good on paper. Yeah. Hey, I wish, I wish that that was a more likely possibility. In this, yeah. I, I either want him in Orlando or I want him in Sacramento. And people look at me when I say that, and they're like, "I, I have a, a a good friend who has repeatedly told me those two places are the worst run organizations <laughs> in all no. of the NBA." And blah blah. I come on, man. Like the fit just makes so much more sense. I and and then also I I may have said some things that curse the Oklahoma City Thunder to, um, you know, perpetual you know losing uh, so <laughs> I, I wonder just don't why want to go there yeah yeah <laughs> so. yeah i mean if there's not a bigger monkey's paw it's the idea that josh could have a unicorn on his college basketball team like chet holmgren and then doom him to be on the zombie sonics so yeah, yeah. No. i i am praying that orlando takes him because it's a good fit i think he'd be great down there and i mean it'd probably be really fun with, for you guys Oh yeah, him and Suggs. Yeah, sure. So, so speaking of uh, the top two and everything like that, what do you make of this draft? Because it feels like 
even the top four that are the surefire picks, there's something about their game or something. In Paulo Bencaros, it just seems to be like we assume that he doesn't have this massive upside that the other players do, and we temper that. But what is it about this draft? Do you think this draft is considerably weaker than, say, even last year's? I don't think so. I think it's just a one way of looking at it is you stare here and you're looking for Cade Cunningham or or Evan Mobley. And I think if either one of those guys was here, they'd be the clear number one. Mm-hmm. Whereas there are legitimately four guys here who'd have a case this year for number one, but in most years they'd be like two, three, four. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it it's just more open in that way. Like I said earlier, five through 16, five through 15, this class is really talented. Beyond that, um, I, I, I'm a little less confident and I certainly, I, I haven't done as much deep dive into the later first as I normally would. But when you're just looking at the lottery, this class is talented. This class is going to give a whole bunch of starters in this league. Um, and, and it's crazy to me that uh, to think that this class is weaker when the actual reality is it's probably less top heavy. Yeah. Like, Back when, back even before the lot, uh, the lottery happened, I, I was very optimistic on this draft because I felt like this was the first draft in a while where there was great players, but there were also players that were largely dependent on where they ended up. And this felt like it could have been the draft with the Kings, with the Blazers, with the Pelicans, <laughs> teams that could have gotten top three picks that had clear defining needs. But we yeah. were just absolutely robbed with it. And now we have the top three teams or three rudderless teams that are totally fine just continually getting draft picks and saying, hey, we'll figure it out eventually. We don't really have a yeah. demand to figure it out now. But Absolutely. And honestly, I know this is a little bit blasphemous to Josh, and I apologize. I kind of That's why I kind of like the fit of OKC and Chet a little bit because if there is one thing, I, I do think that Chet's going to take more time than he probably expects. I heard his... I'm going to be the best player in the league next year, which, you know, good for you. Every player should got that dog in him. Every player (laughs) needs to have that dog. I do think that his transition is going to be a little tougher than he probably expects. And OKC has the advantage of more so than Sacramento, maybe even more so than Orlando, who, you know, that team's always trying to chase the playoffs just for revenue reasons. Um, you know, the timeline is a little bit more forgiving, but at the same time, like fit wise, oh, come on, dude. You couldn't have sent Chet to Sacramento or Portland. Portland would have been great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a as like an accidental Blazers fan, one because the Sonics left and I live in Portland, Oregon. Um, yeah, Portland really could have used something better than the seventh pick. And uh, also, uh, I may hate the New Orleans Pelicans winning last year more than the Seattle Supersonics right now <laughs> being gone. So I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. They've won, they've, they've won enough. They don't yeah. need any more. All right. So thanks again, Brian, for joining us uh, on this episode, uh, crossing fingers for the Kings that, that everything works out in your favor. And uh, we look forward to uh, Demonte Sabonis uh, helping your team figure things out. I appreciate you guys having me on. I appreciate looking forward to the next 40 years of St. Mary's and Gonzaga WCC (laughs) hoops. Don't take that away from me. 
Yeah, hey, I will be the first one to tell you that uh, St. Mary's is the most un- accomplished Under Armour team in the country. So, Ooh. <laughs> that's what this shirt is. Spicy. <laughs> All right, you can uh, catch Bryant uh, and his words on uh, the King's Herald and uh, read them on Twitter at BS West Five.